Now, before I pray for the, the reading and preaching of the Word, I want us to remember something about preaching. I want us to remember that preaching is a time of celebration, a time of equipping, and a time of warning. So think about that for a moment. When we open up God's Word and read it and examine it, we're celebrating that God speaks to us. We're celebrating that God has not left us alone. We're celebrating that God has come to us in His Son Jesus and has said, I'm bringing life to you and joy to you, and I'm bringing eternal life to you. And so it's a time for us to celebrate that our God is just that. He's ours. We belong to Him. It's a time of equipping where we are being trained to to walk with God, to love God, to serve God, to be more faithful to God. It's a, it, it's a way for us to know Him better and to love Him more and to be passionate about preaching His gospel wherever we go. And it's a time of warning. You know, every time we open up the Word, we can see in God's message to us ways in which we're not following Him obediently. And we need to be warned by that so that we can be kept away from being led astray. And so let's ask God to do that work uh, in, a, in each of us as we look at John 6 today. Father in heaven, we approach your word today with a serious request for you to help us celebrate your grace. That you would help us be equipped to love and serve you faithfully. And that you would warn us from falling astray, from walking down paths of unbelief. That you would warn us effectively that we might follow your son Jesus right behind his footsteps. Help us to take up our cross and to deny ourselves and to follow Him day by day through the reading and preaching and application of Your precious Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So ever since the fall of man in the garden, God has been working to save His people and supply everything that they need for life and godliness. Ever since the fall, God has been working to save His people and to provide for His people everything that they need for life and for godliness. We see that from the very beginning, after Adam and Eve fell. But specifically this morning, I want you to remember that while... Israel was captive in Egypt. They pled for God to come and rescue them, and in fact, He did. And in the very night of their rescue, it's called the Passover night, because, because the Lord said to His people, if you kill a lamb, shed its blood, put the blood over the doorpost of your house, then the angel of death will pass over your house and not strike down your firstborn, but will kill every firstborn of the people of Egypt. And so that's exactly what they did on that night. 
before they were let out. And from that night onward, every year, the people of Israel celebrated the Passover feast in which they would kill a lamb and they would cook it and they would celebrate a feast to remember the night that the angel of the Lord passed over their houses and they were delivered through the blood of the lamb. Now, as they were brought out in the Passover night, they were ultimately led to the, the sea, the Red Sea. And as Egypt was following, following behind them, about to close in on them, Israel did not know what to do. But Moses, by the power of God, parted the Red Sea. One can only imagine right now in this moment what that could have been like. And as they walked through the dry ground, there was water that was standing on their right and water that was standing up on their left, and they walked right through on dry ground, and God demonstrated His power even over the sea. And then as they are in the wilderness, God provides food for them in the form of daily bread that comes down from heaven. It's like a frost over the ground every morning. And as the people go out, they pick up these pieces of bread and it's enough for everybody. He provided what they needed to sustain physical life. And yet, they grumbled. And they complained. And God's provision wasn't good enough for the people of Israel. Now, God was still faithful to save and still faithful to provide even in the midst of their unfaithfulness and their unbelief in this rescuing, redeeming God. So much so that before Moses, the leader of these people, dies, he writes down in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and it is to him that you shall look and then the Lord says this very thing in that passage he says I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him And then some 1,000 plus years later, the prophet Isaiah writes down the words of the Lord and the Lord promises peace through this same prophet. He has revealed that this prophet is also going to be a suffering servant and the Lord says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Now, Church, I want you to know that it is human nature to grumble and complain and disbelieve the promises and the provision of God. It's human nature. We all have it in us. Every one of us. And that was the nature of Israel who were the people of God. As God provided and as God promised, the people of God complained and murmured, and grumbled. And I just want us to be warned right now, we have all that in us too. We have it in us. And we see that the people of Israel in John chapter 6 had it in them as well. Now, 
before we look down at the text, let's remember where we've been the last couple of weeks. All right? So, two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is a Savior. He is a Savior. He is a great Savior who works for our good. He heals us of our brokenness. He, he, he frees us of our legalism. He, he purifies us from our sin. Jesus is a great Savior that we can look to and say, oh, what a Savior is Jesus. And then last week, as Jesus goes on this long teaching to the, the Jews, he, he says, listen, not only am I a great Savior, but I am also the Father's authorized an authenticated son. And I possess the authority of God. I, po- I possess the affirmation of God. And I am the son of God, the son of man, who gives life to everyone who believes in me and who gives judgment to everyone who rejects me. That was the message in John chapter 5. Now with that, let's turn to John chapter 6. And we are going to study all 71 verses this morning. And so just as I gave you an instruction last week, I'll give you the same this week. The most important part of the sermon is the reading of the sermon text. And so it's going to take this morning about 11 minutes to read this. All right, you're going to do you're going to serve your soul well to listen and learn from the teaching of Jesus as we read this passage. Focus in, as some of my coaches would say, get your mind right as we read this passage of Scripture. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, what must we do What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread, always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, 
Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so... Whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
Let me give to you right now the thrust of this chapter. This is the big idea. Jesus is the living bread. He's the living bread who gives eternal life to all who feast at His table by faith. Jesus is the living bread who gives eternal life to all who feast at His table by faith. So what happens in this chapter, church, is really a progression of of three things. Um, First of all, Jesus tells us, or or He demonstrates that He is the the, the living bread, the the bread of life. There in verses 1 through 15, I, I believe it is or so, or we could even say 1 through 21, Jesus demonstrates that He is the bread of life. And in verses 1 through 21, well, what, he, what he does is he basically does this. All these people are following him, crowds of people, not just 5,000 because it says it's 5,000 men, likely 10,000 or 15,000 people are following Jesus around because they are seeing these works that he's doing. He, he is causing lame people to walk and invalid people to be well again, and he's causing the blind to see. He's turned water into wine. He's done all of these amazing feats. And so he has accumulated a bunch of people, a multitude, a crowd. And so these crowds are now following him. And so he's up on this this, uh, kind of this grassy area, on kind of the, the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And basically, all these people are are hearing him, and they're listening to him teach, and all of a sudden, Jesus decides to test his disciples, just like the, 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 the followers of the Lord back in the desert and in the wilderness, back in Exodus, were being tested by the manna every single day. And so he provides miraculously bread. Not just a small piece of bread, but enough for everybody. Just as the Lord had done in in the previous times, He provided every single person bread miraculously through five loaves and two fish. We have no idea what that looked like. We don't even know how He did it, but He did it. And everybody there was filled, and they were strengthened physically. And Jesus is demonstrating that He is the bread of life, because He does what God does. And then, after they're filled and, and that the, the, they want to make Him king, now, if you look down at the text where it says they wanted to make Him king, the language is really one of great force. They want to take Him by force. They want to be violent about it all, and they want to hoist Him up and say, you are not only the prophet, but you are the king who are going to lead us. And now, because there are 5,000 men, they're even wanting to form like this army. They're wanting to form a brigade. Now they can go up against the Roman Empire, and they can take back their land, and they they can be all zealous about taking back what is rightfully theirs. Because John tells us that it's the Passover. And what you need to know is that there was ten times more nationalistic zeal during the time of the Passover for Jews than there is during the July 4th celebration for Americans. This was just a major, major ordeal. 
And so as they're looking for a king, as they're wanting deliverance, as they're excited about the possibility that they now are going to be able to enjoy a time of the Messiah, they're seeing Jesus perform things that only God can do. And they're saying, well, this is obviously not just the prophet. This is the Messiah. Let's make him king by force. And so Jesus responds to that, not positively. He actually runs away. He slips away from them and gets alone. And so his disciples, he sends his disciples away. They get on the boat. And, and, and as they're on the boat, about three or four miles away, as we read, the sea is terrible, it's choppy, winds are blowing, it's dangerous. All of a sudden, Jesus does exactly what the Lord had done back in Exodus. He exercises complete power over the sea and he walks on it. And then once he gets in the boat, he miraculously makes the boat arrive at their exact destination that they were wanting to arrive in that moment. And so they are um, seeing that Jesus is this powerful person who is demonstrating that he is the bread of life. He, demonstrated, he demonstrates it through miraculously providing bread, miraculously walking on water, miraculously uh, helping them arrive at their destination immediately. Now, as we look at 22 and following, we see that Jesus declares that he's the bread of life. So he demonstrates it by his power, and now he declares it by his teaching and by his responsiveness to these crowds who come to him. Now, I'm going to tell you straight away, normally when we see in Scripture teaching and even Jesus teaching, there's a real progression of thought that's chronological in nature and, and, and uh, the A, point A, and then B builds on A and C builds on B and everything kind of builds. This, this section right here, 22 through 51, is really kind of uh, circular in nature. And so we can't just see an exact progression of thought because Jesus t makes a statement. He then goes to another thing. He comes back to the previous statement that he makes. He makes it again and then builds on it. And there's just kind of this, this circular big argument that Jesus makes. But the ultimate declaration that he is the bread of life. So let's look at a few things, church, here. About him being the bread of life. So they're wondering about where... How'd he get here? And we, we never saw you get in the boat. And where did you come from? And he rebukes them. Look at verse 26. He says, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you have your fill of the lows. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And then, then they ask the question, if you look down at verse 28, they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And what we need to understand right now about these people is that they are like the people of Israel in the book of Exodus and they are like people today who really have their, their motives exposed and their desires exposed when Jesus comes and confronts their heart. Okay, Jesus exposes their motive. He says, Look, you're really just coming to me because you want physical help. You want material help. You want, me to supply, we want, you want me to supply you materially with what you feel like you need materially. And, and not only that, he exposes their desire to, to do it on their own. Notice their question. 
It is a very religious question. It is a very legalistic question. What must we what? Do. What must we do? Because the thing is this, is we really don't want to be on the hook for you. We don't really want to be obliged to you. We don't want to have the burden that, that you actually did something for us. We want to do it ourselves, Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the work of God. Check this. This is how you work to God. This is how you labor for God. This is how you grind for God. Believe me. That's justification by faith right there. Okay? And yet, he exposes their motive, and then he exposes their religiosity and their legalism, and, and then he exposes that they possess the same kind of heart and same kind of mind as their fathers did. When they said, hey, our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they're like, you need to do something for us, as, he had, as if he had not just done something absolutely amazing for them the, very, the previous day. And so what does Jesus say when they say, hey, give us this bread always? We, we want the kind of bread that you provided for us yesterday, every single day. And Jesus then brings in the heat. He brings it, he brings it home. He says, I am the bread of life. Now this is the first I am statement that we see in Jesus of the seven I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life, he says. And whoever comes to me won't hunger. No, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. Now, church, I want to give you, I believe, what is the most accurate interpretation of what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. This is very important. It means that He is the substance of eternal life. He is the substance of eternal life. That's very important. Because manna that was coming down from heaven in the previous generation was the substance of daily physical life. Jesus ups the ante and He's saying, I'm the substance of eternal spiritual life. And they needed to understand that just like you and I need to understand it. Listen, daily food is very important. Jesus commands us to pray for it in the Lord's Prayer. It's very important, but it is not more important than spiritual food and spiritual bread. And when we get those things reversed, and especially when our hearts desire to really use Jesus in order to get material things that we feel like we need instead of worshiping Jesus as the spiritual substance that we absolutely need, then we get the function of Jesus absolutely wrong and we begin to use Him as a magic genie rather than the Lord of heaven and earth whom we are to bow and find our spiritual life. Now he, He's exposing that time and again. Now the reason I brought that out here is because what he teaches in verses 35 through 40 sets the precedent of really what it means to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Listen, he's already told the lady at the well in John chapter 4. He's like, listen, you need to have living water. And you need to drink of this living water. And it will, it will flow up from your heart. It will be a source of eternal life for you if you drink of the water that I will give you. 
And what he's doing right here is he's also saying the same thing in terms of bread and ultimately in terms of blood. That if you eat of me and then if you drink of me, then you will have eternal life. And so drinking of me and eating of me is really metaphorical language to describe what it means to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to rely on Jesus, to find your life in him, to find your eternal life in the person and work of Jesus. I think that's very important. And so he's declaring that he's the bread of life. If you will look back down at the text, and I'm in 41 and following. He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Now they didn't like that. Because they're like, we know Joseph and we know Mary. What are you even talking about? They, they did not have a paradigm. They did not have a, a way to think about Jesus as a virgin-born, Holy Spirit-conceived, eternal Son of God who came to planet Earth from heaven above. They had no concept. They had no willingness to consider that. And so they are really now, they are scoffing at Jesus. Now, church, one thing that we see throughout this section right here is the effective calling and drawing of the Father to His children through the Son. If you look down at verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then he goes on to say, the Father is going to effectively draw those. And if you look down at verse 47, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Look at verse 51. If anyone eats of his bread, he will live forever. This is what we find in Scripture. This is so important. We see the effective calling and drawing of the Father and we also see the human responsibility to believe in Jesus. And the Scripture always points out both of these um, things, and we, have to, we see that they kind of hold intention. But the fact is this, is that nobody comes to the Father unless the Father effectively draws them to Himself through Jesus. But at the very same time, Jesus authentically and genuinely says, if anybody comes to me, I will not cast him out. It's what he teaches here. Now, he teaches that he's the living bread. He is the substance of eternal life. And they don't like it. They're offended by it. They're angry about it. And they're, they're, they're beginning to reject him. But before we look at that last section, I want us to just synopsize these people. Okay, because they're the crowd. You're talking ten to 15,000 people at least on the day that he fed them. And, and Jesus needed to know something, of, I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus knew something about crowds that we need to know. Okay? Crowds are fickle. Crowds are highly emotional. And crowds are highly impressionable. And Jesus did not trust in crowds. 
And church, we don't need to trust in crowds either. And we don't need to be the crowd. What we need to be are authentic worshipers of Jesus who is the bread of life. We need to find our sustenance and our substance in Him and in Him alone. And if the crowd, some in the crowd, go with us as we follow Jesus, so be it. If all of the crowd leaves and there's nobody left but us who is following the bread of life, Jesus Christ, let's keep following Him because crowds can't be trusted. Jesus knew it. That's something that we need to understand as these days unfold before our eyes. Finally, church, let's just look at the fact that Jesus demands a response to His identity as the bread of life. So He's he's demonstrated that He's the bread of life. He's declared that He's the bread of life. And now He demands a response to His identity as the bread of life. So they're rejecting Him. Man, they're upset by He's making this bold claim that He is the bread of life, that He's more than the the son of, of Mary and Joseph. And and he makes these bold statements. But he says, listen, you've got to drink my blood. You've got to eat my flesh if you want to be part of me. That is, you've got to believe in me. You've got to trust in me. You've got to give your whole life to me. You've got to find your identity in me. I've got to be in you, and you've got to be in me, is the sustenance of what he's saying in verses 50 through, through 59. He says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. You guys are wanting the bread that like came down from heaven to your fathers generations ago. Listen, they all ate and died. But if you find your life in me, if you give all of yourself to me, if you find your identity and your heart and your soul in who I am and what I'm doing, then you will never die. That, that's the calling. And so he, he's really demanding for them to find their identity in himself. And so the disciples say, this is a hard saying. Now what? What you need to know about that word hard is it doesn't mean hard to understand. It means harsh. It means strong. It means um, we're offended by what you just told us. Now, they're offended for a variety of different reasons. But think in terms of being a Jew in first century A.D. It is really against law. God's law to eat anything that has blood in it. You have to cook it thoroughly, right? And now Jesus is making the statement that not only are you to drink of uh, of me, but you're to drink my blood. Jesus is turning their concept of, of spiritual life on its head, and He is speaking with the authority of God. As we noted last week, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you. That is, I am the truth. I'm about to give you the infallible truth, and here it is right here. You've got to eat my bread. You've got to drink my blood. And they, are, they can't stand the metaphor that He uses, and so that's why they basically reject Him. Now look down at verse 62. He says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? And so He's he's now capitalizing on this idea that He came from heaven. And so now He's going to ascend back up to heaven. This is doubly offensive to them because now He's saying, yes, I was in heaven. 
And now I'm going to go back up to heaven. And the way that I'm going to go is through the cross. Because as he's teaching about this blood, as he's, think, as he's teaching about his body, he is prefiguring the fact that he is going to have his body broken, he's going to have his blood shed, and he's going to be the ultimate Passover lamb. Church, that's why John makes a point to tell us at the beginning of this chapter that it was the Passover time. Now this is the connection that I want you to make. There's a reason I introduced the sermon this way. Okay, the Passover was a time in which the, the lamb was killed, the blood was shed in order to save the people of Israel. All right, it's Passover time now, and Jesus is saying, I am the substitutionary Passover lamb, the once and for all lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is also saying, um, yes, the manna that I provided to you in the desert was good. It was a sign of my provision, but it was only a prefiguring of the ultimate manna, the spiritual manna that I am. And that just as your forefathers rejected and grumbled about what I provided in the wilderness, you are now rejecting and grumbling about me, the ultimate provision that has come to you to redeem you and to rescue you. And why did they do that? Because the Messiah did not come in the form, in the way, or for the reasons that they wanted Him to come. Church, Jesus is the true Messiah. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But He comes on His own terms. He functions in the way that He has sovereignly decided to function. And we have the privilege, we have the great opportunity to join Jesus in His mission to save sinners from their sins, as we reject our self-autonomy and our materialism and our greed and all of our thoughts that we're going to have our best life here and now, and we instead turn from that stuff and turn to Christ and let Him define for us what real life is all about, what eternal life is all about. You see, we have to come on His terms in His way to worship Him, not on our terms in our way to look in the mirror and worship ourselves. That's the idea of this passage. He is the living bread who gives eternal life to all who feast at His table by faith, by faith in Him. So I have two applications for you this morning, church. The first one is evangelistic. By evangelistic, I mean it is for people who right now are not trusting in Jesus, who do not find in Jesus to be the bread of life, the substance of eternal life. And this is the application. Come to Christ. That word come is used over and over and over in this chapter. Come to Christ. You have the opportunity today to know the bread of life. You have the opportunity today to find eternal life, real life in Jesus. Come to Him. 
And I want to say in my language what Jesus was saying in His language to the Jews on that day. Don't think that you can use Jesus to meet your physical needs in this temporary life and then expect Him to meet your spiritual needs at the end of your life. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Believe that Jesus is the bread of life. Believe that He is the substance of eternal life. Reject all the other things that you're trusting in. Come to Jesus with an empty hand and an open heart and say, I want to eat from you. I want to eat your bread. I want to drink your blood. That is, I want to believe in you. I want to trust in you. I want to find my life in you. And then let Jesus change you from the inside out. Let Him change you. If you're not a Christian, and you're, you're, kind, of, you're kind of moved toward the things of Christ, but you, but you see on social media and on network television and experiencing conversations at work, something that just, does, that just seems a little off. It just doesn't seem right. It, seems, it just seems odd. The reason it seems odd is because it is odd. It's not so much of what you see and read and hear in today's evangelicalism is not Christ. And so if, if you're finding an obstacle in coming all the way to Christ, I want to tell you, reject all this stuff that you're hearing and seeing and reading and just look to Jesus. And you need to ask yourself, is He the bread of life? Will He give you substance and sustenance for your spiritual life? Will He change you from the inside out? Will He come to you? And will He save you? And will He deliver you, not only in this life, but in the life to come? And the answer, time and time again in Scripture, is overwhelmingly yes. He will save you. He will save you today. He will rescue you. All you have to do is come to Him, call on Him, believe in Him. It doesn't matter whether you're 12 years old or 72 years old. Come to Him today. He is a great Savior. He will not cast you away. The second application is this for Christians. Feast at Christ's table. Feast at Christ's table. Believe that Christ is more than a Savior from hell. Now, He is a Savior from hell. Praise God, He is a Savior from hell. He saves us from eternal condemnation. But believe that He is a Savior from all the good things. Check this out, church. He is a Savior from all the good things that you chase after to save you from boredom, depression, discouragement, jealousy, meaninglessness, Monotony. Like, I think that there's a sense in which some of us in this room need to, to come face the fact that they, we get really discouraged. We, we get tempted to be very depressed. And the glass is always half empty. And we find reasons to be jealous of other people and we find ways to be discontent with what's been provided for us through Christ. We find reasons to, to be angry at people and at events when we really shouldn't be that angry. 
And this is what I want to tell you, church. Believer, Jesus has come to save you from that kind of stuff. To deliver you from it. He's that kind of Savior. But you've got to feast at His table. And so this is really the, this is the thrust of what I want to tell you, church. Get up and leave the tables that are in competition with Christ. Put all your competing allegiances to rest. Bury them. Shut the door on them for good. Make a decision today to be done with the competing allegiances that you have. And some of you, you have gluttony. And, and you profess Christ, and you love people, and you care for the gospel, and you try to give the gospel to people, but the fact is, is that you just find a lot of pleasure in eating food. It, it gives you a peace that nothing else gives you. It, it gives you a contentment that nothing else gives you. And Jesus Christ is a Savior who wants to come in and say, I'm so much better than that extra food right there. Some of you are, are just wrapped up in pornography. It, it started early in your life and you've had times when you have broken that, that bondage and that chain, but when you get stressed out or you get angry or you have a conflict with somebody that you love, you run to pornography as a way to provide you peace, uh, some rest, some contentment, some ease. And Jesus wants to come to you this morning and say, I am so much better than that. I'm the bread of life. I will give you sustenance and substance and hope and real life. That is an artificial pleasure that will one day end. Not only is it its sin now, but it will lead to judgment forever. Run away from that. I'm so much better than that. Sports idolatry. On the, on the hills of the Iron Bowl. There, there are Christians today None of you, but there are Christians today who did not go to church today because they are upset by how their team performed last night. That happened, I'm sure, right here in this community. And what Jesus wants to say to Christians who are that wrapped up in sports, He wants to say, you are giving yourself to something so artificial so temporary and so pointless that if you don't turn, you may find yourself a complete idolater and like a disciple who turned away from me at the end of John chapter 6 because they don't find in me the true bread from heaven. You're trying to find your sustenance and your substance and your nourishment from the world and still call me your Lord. Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Greed, self-centeredness. I will, I will speak to that. There are Christians today, maybe even in this building, who say, I worship God. Yes, He is the bread of life. He is the living bread. I believe it. I, I'm at church. I'm excited about who He is and what He's done but you will leave this week, and unless grace intervenes in your life, you will spend hours on Facebook 
You will spend hours on Instagram and you will look at other people's lives and you will try to match their life and what you see on those screens by your life. And you will show everybody how great your life is and you will take pictures of things and you will post them to try to compete with the Joneses on social media because you're trying to find your bread there instead of at the table that Christ provides in Himself. Stop it! It's just artificial. It's temporary. It's it's not even worth anything. Find your substance and your nourishment in Jesus Christ. He is the only one who will provide it better now and for eternity. Because what you find in social media and sports and greed and pornography and gluttony is something that is temporary now and artificial. It will go away. It will go aside. And one day... Those disciples, quote-unquote disciples, who find their substance in the things of this world and claim Christ will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Instead, they will be cast out because their true colors were demonstrated by the life that they lived. what I ask you to do. Would you just uh, meditate for a moment? You can bow your head. You can close your eyes or keep your eyes open. Whatever is the best way for you to meditate because I want want to offer you the opportunity to commit yourself to feast at Christ's table this week. I want to give you the opportunity right now to commit yourself to feast at Christ's table. So this this is how you can feast at Christ's table this week, church. Will you commit yourself to read the Bible every day and just see the beauty of Jesus? Like if you're going to feast at His table, if you're going to just cast aside the tables of gluttony and pornography and, and self-centeredness, if you're going to do that and you're going you're to take your chair and you're going to come up to the table of Christ, then the first thing that you need to do is you need to say, I'm going to take my Bible to that table so that I can see Christ every day. Will you commit to read your Bible every day this week to see Christ? If you will do that, make that commitment to to Jesus just, just today. Lord, help me read the Bible this week. And then make this commitment. Pray daily to feel the love of Christ. Boy, Jesus is a mediator. He's an advocate for you. He loves to listen to you. He wants to speak to you through His Word. He wants a two-way communication with you so that when you sit down and feast at His table, you're talking to Him and He's talking to you. You're talking to Him, He's talking to you. Would you commit to pray at His table today for the rest of the week and say, I'm going to fellowship and feast at the table of Christ through prayer. Would you commit to prioritize Sunday services in order to enjoy the body of Christ? And some of us in here are kind of two times a month Christians. Some of us are three times a month. Some of us are are, are practically every Sunday. But, 
But Sundays are a big deal because on Sundays you get to be with the people of Christ, the body of Christ. Would you commit to make it a serious priority to be here on Sundays in order to enjoy the body of Christ? Because that's how you really feast on Him week in and week out. Would you commit to use your gifts to experience the fullness of Christ? And some of you, and you just, you need to use gifts that you have. You need to sing. You need to preach. You need to evangelize. You need to make coffee. You need to sweep floors. You need to set up. You just need to use gifts and abilities because when you do, you're manifesting your gifts. You're using your gifts. And when you do that, the fullness of the Spirit of Christ just swells up in your heart and you are functioning the way that Christ has intended you to function. And so use your gifts to experience His fullness and preach the gospel to feel His pleasure. I want to, I want to, before I sit down, I want to tell you right now, some of you don't really feel the pleasure of Christ very much. Man, Christ, He, if you trust in Him and if you believe in Him, I want to tell you, He's pleased with you. But if you want to experience His pleasure, in an experiential way where your heart swells, go out this week and tell somebody who needs to know the bread of life about the bread of life. And you will find the pleasure of Jesus in your heart. I'll call you to that this week. Feast at His table in those ways.